From a dot in the middle of the map, this is Midwesternish. I'm Gina Kaufman. When you start a show called Midwesternish, it obviously crosses your mind that at some point you'll find yourself doing an episode about The Wizard of Oz. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Like it or not, and most of us don't, those words have branded Kansas and everyone from Kansas since 1939. If you've traveled to Nebraska or the Netherlands, Pittsburgh or Paris, doesn't matter. You say you're from Kansas and people start asking after Toto. On this episode, if The Wizard of Oz defines Kansas for the entire world, what exactly does it say? And do we believe it? Going so soon? I wouldn't hear of it. Why, my little party's just beginning. I think, in my mind, it's stuck in the subconscious of our nation because of its repeated TV viewings. Russ Simmons is the resident film critic at KCUR. I started annual viewings in 1956, and since it already strikes a chord with the child in all of us and it became so popular, those lines will still reverberate because we hear them year after year after year after year. Why do you think that it strikes a nerve with the child in all of us? There's some kind of primal fears that children have that this movie plays right into, but there's also a salvation that comes at the end, and that is so reassuring to children that I think that's why it and it appeals, obviously, to all audiences. But first of all, it's enormously entertaining and involving, but because it also has that component, it really brings us in and makes us a part of it. What's interesting is that the salvation is really when you think about it, just a shift in Dorothy's own attitude toward Kansas. True enough. And, you know, like she says, there's no place like home. And uh, she comes to accept that and and realize that uh, she had what she wanted was really at home all the time, just like uh, in It's a Wonderful Life. You know, uh, George Bailey wanted to go out and see the world. But when he realized uh, his happiness was right at home, then that's when he truly uh, understood his purpose there. The scenes depicting Kansas are sepia-toned, as I mentioned, and the rest of the movie in Oz is technicolor, which isn't exactly like a flattering way (laughs) of showcasing Kansas. What do you know about that decision? Uh, Actually, you know, Baum describes Kansas as gray and... That's L. Frank Baum, the author of the books. Correct, correct. And so um, there was a 1936 animated short that first did that, that came up with the idea of showing Kansas in black and white and then shifting over to color when she goes to um, to Oz. And they borrowed that idea when they did the movie. And it's just for that reason to indicate that it's a dull gray landscape that she's in that she wants to escape and go to someplace colorful. Of course, there's a museum dedicated to the Wizard of Oz in Kansas. It's in the town of Wamego, and people travel from all over the world to see it. I think they have a, a, a very dreary conception of what Kansas is. I think it is for most of them prior to their, their actual experience of our state is that it's, it's flat, 
The grass is withered and dying and just kind of there. It's super dry. That lots of dirt. Yeah, lots of dirt. That like chickens uh, <laughs> everywhere. There, when watching this movie again, there are just random chickens all over the place in Kansas. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> That's Clint Stevie, the director of the museum. I had a lot of questions for him. Well, so, but they do, these people who expect Kansas to be dreary are still making quite a pilgrimage to be here. Why? This is a, a film that's been uh, the most viewed film in all, of all time. Well, I, I think that the, the fear provides something compelling about the story. There, there has to be challenges that need to be overcome, and they need to be challenges that we can feel. Uh, but I, I think one of the reasons it's so popular is because Dorothy is faced with these challenges that many of us fear, and she overcomes them. I'm frightened. I'm frightened, Daddy. I'm frightened. When you talk about The Wizard of Oz, it turns out that a lot of the time what you're really talking about is childhood fears. Because there's something in this movie for anyone to latch onto, whether it's the witch or the monkeys. For me, it was the tornado. I mean, when I was a kid, I was so scared of that tornado that it was like the flushing toilet was too much like a tornado. I had to stand really far away just to flush. Also, I had recurring nightmares with talking tornadoes that were coming to my house. I think with the tornadoes, it's mostly fascination and hopes that they're not going to be still in Kansas when one comes around. I think that most of the people who talk to me about their fears in relation to The Wizard of Oz, it's it's about the uh, flying monkeys and the Wicked Witch. <laughs> and uh, I do, I've always thought it was funny that the Wicked Witch has had such a, a big impression on people, and she's only in the film for around 13 minutes. Uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> she does make a large enough impression that you feel like she's more present. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you cursed brat! Look what you've done! Do you, are you able to make any sweeping generalizations? I generally avoid those, but I'm interested uh, <laughs> about what kinds of pers- people are scared of which kinds of things in The Wizard of Oz. You know, I I wish I could, but uh, I've been surprised numerous times. Uh, we, we had a piece that we were getting framed that sh- showcased some flying monkeys, and uh, the framer was probably in his 60s and he refused to frame it because he was still <laughs> terrified of the flying monkeys. What kind, was this a guy who you would have pegged for being a little on the anxious side or just a uh, regular guy? First glance, I would have guessed he was not afraid of anything. <laughs> yeah, it's sad, believe me, missy, when you're born to be a sissy without the feminine vibe. But I could show my prowess, be a lion, not a mouse, if I only had the nerve. I'm afraid there's no denying, I'm just a dandelion, a fate I don't deserve. I'd be brave as a blizzard. I'd be gentle as a lizard. I'd be clever as a gizzard. If the wizard is a wizard who will serve, then I'm sure to get a brain. A heart, a home. The knife. The tornado and witch and flying monkeys are obviously meant to be the scariest parts of the film. But my colleague C.J. Janovey thinks there's something much scarier in the movie and our obsession with it. 
I do believe the Wizard of Oz culturally that what it's what it's come to stand for is bull. The Wizard of Oz has, among many of its other accomplishments, the, the main one, I think, it's turned Kansas into a joke. This whole idea, you're not in Kansas anymore, the, the stereotype of Kansas being so backwards, so black and white, to me, that's the number one problem with The Wizard of Oz. One place I really noticed this was... Um, when Kathleen Sebelius, the former governor of Kansas, was the uh, Health and Human Services Secretary in the, in the Obama administration, and they started Obamacare, and the rollout was a disaster. The website didn't work. All these, all these things went wrong with it. And Sebelius was called to testify before Congress, and all of these people who had been elected representatives of the American people could not ask her a question without making a joke about Kansas. I know we're not in Kansas, but I do believe increasingly we're in Oz because of what I see here, so. People went to see the wizard because of the wonderful things that he did. And the Affordable Care Act is doing a lot of great things in Iowa. The Des Moines Red uh, some, of my, some of my colleagues have made references to the Wizard of Oz. I don't think anybody not from Kansas should be able to do Oz allegories, but my, my, my story, well, the way I think about it is those folks worked awful hard to go down that yellow brick road. At the end of the day, when they got there and pulled back the curtain, they found there was nothing that they didn't already have. It's turned the place into a joke, but very important things happen in Kansas for the rest of the country, which the country then proceeds to joke about. Kansas has gone from having a budget surplus to a projected shortfall of a quarter billion dollars. The state has made massive cuts to all sorts of services and schools. They had their credit. Chris Kobach is Kansas Secretary of State. He is a co-author of Arizona's controversial immigration law. And he is currently because defending... The vast majority of illegal aliens are, are consuming welfare programs, whether it be Medicaid, whether it be food stamps, school lunches. They're consuming... Three men are due in court on Monday after federal investigators say they broke up a right-wing militia plot. The plan was to blow up a mosque and apartment complex in Garden City, Kansas. Along with the political dangers of turning Kansas into a joke, CJ worries about some of the underlying messages in the movie, namely this. I think the film articulated something super universal with that idea that there's no place like home. And I think that's one reason why it just resonates so deeply with everyone. I did the same thing that Dorothy's band of misfits did. I left home. I lived in Technicolor big cities for part of my uh, part of my life. I left home as soon as I could, actually, and left home. I was not thinking anything about oh, I'm following Dorothy's trajectory, but but the idea of someone leaving home, going away, experiencing amazing things, and then deciding to come back home. I think for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people can't come home in that same way that she did. And that's another thing about the film that's sort of uh, an illusion for me and, and painful, I think. Can you flesh that out a little bit more? Well, uh, a lot of young people have a lot of good reasons for leaving a place that's conservative or restrictive or perhaps even oppressive in some ways. Uh, when, when, when an idea of what's normal and acceptable in life is considered, you know, a certain way. And are, you, are you talking about the use of, um, like, somewhere over the rainbow as part of, like, a 
you've referred to it as like a gay anthem. Oh, well, well, gay men have their own history with the Wizard of Oz. Uh, after after the uh, Second World War, if I'm remembering my history correctly, uh, they would find each other in big cities by sort of saying, hey, are you a friend of Dorothy? You know, because they love Judy Garland. We know this. This is, this Judy is, Judy Garland is iconic especially for gay men. And so I don't begrudge my gay brothers uh, that. But I do think for gay kids who leave small towns or farms or conservative places in the Midwest and and find acceptance and homes in big cities, um, coming back home in, in that way can be very painful, very fraught, very um, mixed emotions involved in that. And, and you know, if a, if a family is accepting, great. But, but, you know, maybe they've, maybe they've had a harder time growing up than, uh, than you know, and it, and it doesn't feel like such a relief like Dorothy felt to come back home. Maybe that whole idea is a little bit of a stretch. As filmmaker and iconoclast John Waters says, I'm the only child in the audience that always wondered why Dorothy ever wanted to go back to Kansas. Why would she want to go back to Kansas in this dreary black and white farm with an aunt who dressed badly and seemed mean to me when she could live with magic shoes, winged monkeys, and gay lions? I never understood it. We tell ourselves a lot of things about Kansas, that it's boring and dreary and less exciting than all the magical somewhere else's we've dreamed up, that it's wholesome and safe, that it's home, that familiarity makes everything okay. But we probably tell ourselves both of those things because they're simpler than the truth, that there are lots of places like Kansas, and that home is where we make it. Then close your eyes and tap your heels together three times and think to yourself, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. This episode of Midwesternish was produced by Matt Hodap and Jen Chen. Sylvia Maria Gross is our editor. You can subscribe to this podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you generally do that kind of thing. The stories on Midwesternish come from a daily show on Kansas City's public radio station, KCUR 89.3. The show's called Central Standard. Head to kcur.org if you want to check it out. I'm Gina Kaufman. 